on this episode of A Tale of Two Rivals. Banterman dives into some running backs. Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Javante Williams. What's the deal? Stay tuned. Welcome to a tale of two rivals, a fantasy football podcast put on by your three-peat, go with your gut, I occasionally use the spreadsheet, champion, and a numbers-obsessed, spreadsheet-loving, still-can't-beat-me, nerd, to find some sort of consensus to share with you, the fantasy football listener. Hey, buddy. Hey, Todd. You forgot to add an IDP expert. Uh, in my title. Oh, stop I- it. <laughs> stop it. I remember my first beer. Good lord. Oh, oh, come on now. Come on now. You I haven't held you until you hold the belt, shut it. Uh, I've been ve- I've had a and honest Todd, I've been pretty good in that league record wise since for, for a long time now. And you went down by me this year. And in you went down in the championship. And this year I beat you. Were you I beat you, you this only- year. Oh, in the, so you're my only loss, but uh, I, I'm well yeah. with you in the standings, sir. It's all good, man. Just wait till playoffs. All right. If you make it. How we doing, buddy? <laughs> if I make it, it's fair. <laughs> it's not a great year for me in the IDP league. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, Todd. I'm still riding high off talking, getting the mores out of my system here. A lot I, That went a little long yesterday. I, I had a great time talking about them. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Question of the day, Davey? What? was your favorite item of clothing as a kid, Dave? Oh, this was tough, Todd. There was two front runners. The first was a shirt from Six Gun City, which is like a, a Wild West reenactment thing for kids next to Santa's Village up in the Northeast, Northern New Hampshire for everyone in the, who's familiar with Santa's Village and Storyland in the New England area. But yeah, Six Gun City, I had this, it was a shirt that like was basically looked, it was like a sheriff shirt. That was awesome. I, I was obsessed with it. But the true piece of clothing that I loved, of course, is nostalgic. I mean, this question is nostalgic. But yeah, of course, it is. I had a glow-in-the-dark shirt from King Henry's Feast. My mom got it for me on, her trip, to, on a trip to Florida. She stopped and went to this dinner theater thing where it was like a medieval medieval feast. And I actually ended up going there at, on a trip to Florida myself and was obsessed with it because I, I, was a, I, I love anything medieval King Arthur, anything like that. So I was obsessed. It was so bad. I love that shirt so much, Todd, that I, I would, it was a night shirt when I was like 10 years old. I, I went down to my ankles and then I was, I wore it in high school because uh, it fit me like a regular shirt. And in college, as an icebreaker, when I first met my roommates, you, uh, you met one of my uh, roommates, Devin, who was in my wedding. So we're all like, we're all there. We're all unpacked. We're just sitting there, like kind of getting to know each other. And, <laughs> I reached in. All right, guys, you want to? I, I was like, all right, you want to see something cool? Really thought I'd break the ice, and I pulled out a glow in the dark T-shirt that's like 15 years old. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. And they're like, oh my god, we have a serial killer in our as a roommate. But uh, so yeah, that was my favorite piece of clothing, Todd. And uh, I it, everything went well after that. But yeah, they're definitely a little scared when I whipped out the glow in the dark T-shirt my first day at college. The glow in the dark T-shirt is legit. 
for a kid. That is fantastic. So uh, in typical me fashion, I made a list because, uh, you know, that's what I do. So did you put it in the spreadsheet? Five. It's in the spreadsheet, Davey. Oh, my gosh. That's exciting. Number five, carpenter jeans. Now, these are actually more middle school, high school, we'll say. That's like when I really cared about, like, the look. Carpenter jeans, American Eagle. They fit phenomenally. And just like something about the little strap on the side I thought looked awesome. Number four, my basketball shoes. Probably every year I got a new set, but I some of the ones that stuck on my head were uh, the Kevin Garnett Jumpmans I had. I want to say that was like freshman year or eighth grade. I had I had a couple of sets of Jordans. The questions, Allen Iverson's questions. Wasn't a big fan of the answers. And then Starberries, which was like an and one shoe, like Stefan Marbury shoes. So I was huge into my basketball shoes. But, I mean, obviously that's sports. For everyday stuff, I was a hat kid. So, like, number three is hats. My black Boston Red Sox hat was, like, my go-to. And I always had a dope UNC hat. And to this day, I still have both of those hats. Well, I've replaced them over the years, but they're always in rotation, even in my almost 40s. Hoodies, still a thing that I'm a big fan. I had an N1 hoodie. That was, like, my life. I loved that hoodie. I wore it all the time. And I also had an American Eagle hoodie that I thought was super cool. It wasn't. It was pretty lame. But the N1 hoodie was still fire. And the number one item. Of clothing of my childhood was my Ed Cota North Carolina jersey. He was um, a Brooklyn point guard who led the ACC in assists, and he had like crazy style. And I was a big UNC fan. I rocked that thing with pride. I loved it. But I actually now it's in a frame because I met Ed Cota, and he signed it. And the other signed by Joe Forte when uh, they had the rookie league in Boston. So. It's a framed signed jersey that's really not worth anything except nostalgia. So, um, yeah. Those are the best. Yeah, so, like, he was my favorite all-time player. Like, I-, I modeled my game after him a lot. Clearly, not nearly as well. My Ekota jersey, number five, North Carolina, with the powder, with the Carolina blue, powdery blue, baby. So, yeah, there's my list, Davey. Love American Eagle. I was a huge American Eagle fan, Todd. So I love the, all the American Eagle references and, of course, hats. So yeah, I was big on the hats as well. I mean, you know me for a long time. You probably are very well versed, and I still wear a lot of hoodies and I still wear a lot of hats. So you have I have a Tale of Two Rivals hoodie. I do have a That's actually my new. That is my favorite hoodie right now because it's a Tale of Two Rivals hoodie and it's so unique and awesome. So, um, all right. Let's dive into content tonight. Take one. Joe Mixon's dynasty value. The man is back. The talent and the potential was always there. Now he's healthy, and he's getting the volume to show it off. RB4 in PPR, uh, 1.28, excuse me, a 128.3 weighted opportunity. He's getting 90 yards per TD, which is pretty solid. The 9% target share is, eh, whatever. But he's really paced by nine touchdowns. That's where his numbers are really coming in. So I have a bit of a love-hate with relationship with mixing because he's burned me before, but, you know, though he can't really help injuries. His talent in being attached to an elite offense in Cincy, and Cincy like, you got to like him. But we should pump the brakes on Joe Mixon a little bit here, all right? He's 25. There's quite a bit of injury history there. And you're really relying on those touchdown numbers. He's scored in six out of nine games. That's not sustainable. He's only broken 100 yards rushing once on the whole season. And that was week one. But what is encouraging is that he's had five or more targets in three out of his last four games. 
He's averaging 54 receiving yards in that span. So he is getting incorporated more into the passing offense. And I think instead of like making that being like, oh, well, maybe that's something I should think about when we, with maintaining his value and keeping my team. No, I think that's more of the carrot to dangle in a trade negotiation. With that said, I'm not saying like I'm completely like down on Mixon. He's my RB11, so he's in the top 12. But there's plenty of guys with potential in the next seven or eight spots behind him in my rankings that could easily get over him. Easily. And a lot of them are like, I mean, three of them are Dobbins, Akers, and Etienne, who are just hurt. I personally, if I had Joe Mixon, and it fit my build and whatever I was, like, wherever I stood, whether I'm contending or not, I would definitely consider flipping him for some other pieces. Uh, So I'd be looking to be getting, like, an elite young wide receiver if I had to, like, pair that with, like, Joe Mixon. But I'm also not in a rush to move Mixon. Like, I think he has a good amount of staying power if he stays healthy and continues kind of, like, ending up being a top 12 running back by the end of the year. So I'm just trying to think that it depends on, like, where you're sitting with Joe Mixon. If you need Joe Mixon as your RB2 or your RB1 to contend, steadfast. Unless maybe somebody's great enough to give you Javante Williams. More on that later. But he is an RB1 candidate beyond this year. And I believe his floor is probably top 12, which is solid. So to me, it's just kind of like there's so much fluctu- like so much that can fluctuate here with his dynasty that I don't really trust that in a running back. So that would be the kind of guy that I'd be looking to move on for a more trustworthy, younger wide receiver. Davey, Joe Mixon. Yeah, Todd, interesting numbers. I really like how you brought, broke down his his numbers here. Now, his target share, now the, always the biggest complaint with Joe Mixon has been his targets. And again, this year, shockingly, his target share is less than it has been in his over his career average, and his targets per game are less too. And in the first three games, they really pumped up his rushing. That's He, he was averaging... 22 rush tests per game as Joe Burrow was starting to come back from his knee in- injury. And then the last six games, Todd, he's down to almost like right around 14 uh, carries per game, which has been a lot better for that offense here. So, and what you see that happens a lot too is early on in the season, those games can really have an impact on fantasy major- managers. They see that, oh, they think Cincinnati's rushing the ball a lot more. They think, and not that Joe Mixon is not been very productive. He's He's the one of those is his touchdowns, which is what you're talking about, what you talked about a little bit here. So Joe Mixon's a little tricky, which you kind of outlined him teetering for age wise, production wise, solid. This is a solid year. He had the injury, but he's back for me. He's past the age. You know, he's past my age tar- to target here. Unless I'm in season looking to make a trade for a win now type moment. I want him attached to this Cincinnati offense. I'm not necessarily looking forward for him to the future. If I'm a win now team, he's a target of mine because he's, you know, he's the RB4, I think. Exactly. If you're not a top three team and and you need like, so for me, if I'm on top three, I'm moving Mixon. That's what it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I could totally, I would love, love someone to disagree with me on this and give me a counterpoint. Hit me up on Twitter, please. All right. Take two. My next running back. What's the deal with Nick Chubb? Now we got COVID on top of it lovely might not make this game so despite only playing in seven games and having a 53.1 opportunity share thanks to mr kareem hunt who is not healthy anymore chubb is still the rb14 in ppr and ppr formats 
that's really impressive given that he's underperformed and battled injuries and Cleveland's just not playing him enough, not giving him the ball. He's only had three games with 20-plus carries, which is insane because the guy is one of the best pure runners, if not the best pure runner in football. Clearly, he's never going to be a receiving threat, and Hunt being around kills his opportunity share. So I'm on tilt a little bit with Chubb as a dynasty asset. He's still my RB7, but I don't feel great about it. The talent is there, but this year has been very frustrating with him at times. He's 25, so he's heading towards that age cliff with a significant injury history, and he doesn't catch the freaking ball. I consider waiting for him to come back, blow up for a game, and then cash out. And if you're at the trade deadline and he's out on COVID, I would not undersell him. I would try to see if you can get him at what you believe he was before. At like preseason value, and if nobody's biting, hold him till the offseason to move him then. Because I, I've just, I gotta be honest, like, like I said, as my RB7, I don't feel great about that. I don't at all. So, Dave, what are your thoughts on Nick Chubb? Todd, I love the player. His, he creates, ta- he creates, mis- he forces missed tackles. He's uber efficient. He's a great runner. He takes advantage of his offensive line. He makes great, he has home run ability. There's so much like except for his usage. Uh, that and that's the biggest thing with Nick Chubb. He, I think people, he's been talked about a lot here. And I have him after having him on four teams heading into the last off season. I have him only on one team now, and that team is 500. And so I'm kind of deciding what to do with him. The biggest thing is what to do with Nick Chubb because not a lot of no one wants to give up a young there's no running back young running backs to give up for him like what do i want to trade for a jk dobbins plus for nick chubb no i don't think that's a smart move i, I don't trust i mean i i think jk dobbins is fine but I, I don't like that kind of move and and then travis Etienne, no thank you javonta williams do pe- people are, love javonta williams i'm not sure if i'd target him it, it's really tough player to, so that means i have to then target a wide receiver and a draft pick there's not a lot of great running backs in this class to get excited about from what i've been told it, it's he's just it's tough to move him, Todd, unless for a premium wide receiver. That's the only way you can get. That's the only move that you can make for him, and that's it's tough to pull the trigger because running backs is such a it's such a crap show out there, and running backs are very valuable right now. It's interesting bringing up Javante Williams because that'd be the first guy I'm targeting moving Nick Chubb, and that's my third take. Javante Williams is going to be a second half beat, and I said this a while ago about selling Gordon after that amazing start because Jay Will is about to take over that backfield in the second half. Let's just break down Jay Will before I get into the whole trade uh, uh, scenarios. So he's averaging 4.4 evaded tackles per game with only a 41.5% opportunity share. That's better. That's more evaded tackles per game than most of the bigger names with bigger shares. That's impressive. That is a dynamic player. Week 7 saw 7 targets. Week 9 saw 17 rushes for 117 yards. So his usage is definitely on the upswing. So I would definitely move Chubb to get Javante plus a little something extra. And I do think, depending on what the situation is, that's a reasonable move. And also, maybe I put Chubb and some other pieces together with Javante to kind of make it look a little bit more enticing because I love Javante. So like I said, Chubb is my RB7. Javante is my RB8. Excuse me, my RB9. I just put Eckler ahead of him. I was like, I can't 
take him over Eckler right now. So I- I'm very confident in him in the future, but I'm also extremely confident with him down the playoff run. Yes, Melvin Gordon is a bit of a concern this year for Javante's workload, but I do believe the Broncos are going to rely more and more on Javante in the second half of the year because Cream rises to the top and he's the better player. But Melvin Gordon just happens not to suck. So let people overreact to Melvin Gordon being there and try to grab him right now. He's going to be much, much more expensive in the offseason, and he's definitely expensive now. But the point is, it's much more enticing at this point than it's going to be once he blows up in the second half and wins some people some championships. Because I love this guy's playoff matchups. Davey? Todd, and you said right there at the end, he's expensive now. Everyone loves Javonta Williams, and rightly so. You just went down through the things that you should care about in the database of what makes Javonta Williams a great player. He can catch the ball. He can rush the ball. He can make people miss. Uh, the only problem is his opportunity share, which actually went down this week despite having such a great week. And he was only, and I was looked down, oh man, 117 rush yards. He must have been top, you know, he must have been a top player this week. Or, or, no, RB27 uh, in PPR because he didn't get any receptions, didn't get a touchdown. So I think people are getting definitely still excited. I think he's the most talked about player on Twitter. I actually made a tweet, Todd, where I was like, hey, I, I, like sarcastically, oh, Javante Williams is the best buy low in Twitter hist- in Dynasty history. But on the other hand, he's also the most talked about uh, player in Dynasty, like, you know, on Twitter. So how is it, how do those two things compete? I, I think people are right there with you, Todd, about how they value Javante Williams. He's very hard. I bet if I, I'm not sure if I could get Javante Williams or Nick Chubb straight up. I really don't. I'm not sure. I, 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 I think that's an overreaction. I think you absolutely could in a lot of places, in a lot of leagues. And I still think that Nick Chubb's body of work versus a guy who's not even getting a 50% opportunity share. I, I, I get it. But the thing about it is, is like, there's plenty of people that are out there that are like me that are valuing Javante Williams, but there's also plenty of people that are not, you know? There are plenty of people that live too much in the present. And there's also people that like, when you look at Nick Chubb and you look at Javante Williams and you're contending, that's something you got to look at and consider. Maybe you put something on top of that to be able to get like Javante draft capital and you give them Chubb, I don't know, like a, like a good like wide two or wide three. You know what I mean? So like there's ways to be able to work that deal that you put it in front of them. And when you make it a package and you say, this package is going to make you a better playoff team. It's not just Chubb for Williams. That's the way to play it. If you're looking to get a guy like a Williams, it's like price is high right now, but it's not astronomically high as it's going to be in the offseason. You try to put together a package to make people not say no to that. That's the key. It's always those straight up moves for those things in Dynasty that are never going to get it done. You have to give people multiple pieces towards a playoff championship contending team to make them want to part with something that valuable. And stop trying to use Julio Jones in trades because I learned that because nobody wants him. So just <laughs> saying. But point being is that like Julio would have been a great example of a guy when he was good to be like throwing in with a Chubb deal, being like, you want this target monster with like Nick Chubb? Like that that's what I'm saying. Like, put together a package because Javante's worth an overpay. And I-, I still think plenty of people would take Chubb over him. Not everybody. It's probably a 50-50 split, but a 50-50 is a pretty damn good chance in looking to make a move. So, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you. In a lot of places, it's probably not straight up, but I don't think it's I don't think it's the norm necessarily. Yeah. Matt Spencer has a very cool tool, Todd. He's a, works for, he's a writer for Rotoviz. 
that measures the positivity of a player. And I think Javonta Williams is top five in that app about most positively talked about player in fantasy football, which is just crazy to me. Really cool tool, Todd, that just measures the the excitement level around a player. Uh, and he, and it, it does the use of the Twitter API. Very cool. Very cool. But uh, yeah, it, Todd, Javonta Williams is a beast. I, or He's better than I thought he was going to be. People, uh, Fanero from Rookie Fever told me, hey, you're too low. You're too low. And I've been too low on Javonta Williams. I quick I act I changed quickly to start the season here. He's gonna be a, he's gonna be a great running back uh to come now uh for fantasy. Yeah, man. And I, I get everybody being positive about it, but I'm saying like you can put positive pieces with that. You know what I mean? I'm I'm just saying like saying that he's he's not attainable, you could always put together a package to a contender if they have Javante Williams. If if there's a team not contending have Javante Williams, like good luck in that scenario, because like why would they what you're giving up to move for him? I don't understand like what would be helping them out. I, I'm going to be looking to move for him in a lot of places. I found like at least four leagues where Javante's on top four teams. So those are leagues that I'm kicking those tires and trying to start some some banter. Two of them, the trade deadline Sundays too. So I'm really trying to work overtime on those ones. Honestly, Todd, and the vice versa, I actually don't hate the idea of trying to shop Javante Williams. You have him as your RB9, Todd. Absolutely. I, That's a great point. There's a, There's another piece to that. That's a great point. People are very excited about him. I think it'd be worth shopping. Now, would I sell for? A, would I give anyone a discount? No, but I think it's. De- I think he's an interesting player where he's a, a, might be a decent target, but he's also might be a good sell. High, like not sell high, high, but he, the, the fever is there. Todd really liked your players you chose this week. I went wide receiver heavy. You gave us the running backs. We ying, we yang. One player wins. In fantasy, being me and one player brags about it, so I, I like this. Oh, I just brag and I don't win. <laughs> How many times have you won our league for the Taylor uh, Drive Switzerland League? Is that zero? And I'm three in a row, buddy. Come on, that was a layup. That was a soft toss, Davy. Tom, people don't realize that I, that I that it's part of the it's part of the shtick. I give you these these t ball types uh, these t ball type swings here. Oh, Davey, it's low-brow humor, buddy. Tell them where they can find you. Find me at FF underscore Spaceman on the Tweet Machine. And you can find me over at DLF. You can find me on my Patreon account. You can find me at Rookie Fever. And always with my lovely co-host, Todd Foster, on A Tale of Two Rivals. You can find me at FF underscore Banterman. Always find me over here with my ever-eloquent David Wright. Over here on the Tale of Two Rivals. You can find me over at the IDP, guys, with my rankings, my writings, and all that. And you can always find me in my DMs to be able to talk some shop. It's a banter. Peace.